This podcast is brought to you by bellacatering.com.au. Guys, the folks at Bella Catering are one of the best catering companies in the whole of Australia and especially in Sydney. But due to the coronavirus restrictions, those lovely folks led by Glenn and Maria are unfortunately struggling but we can help them and I want to help them with this show. So if you guys can and you like delicious things and you're in Australia and you're in Sydney and you're within about a 20K to 30K radius, which is pretty much the entire um, Sydney basin, if you want delicious food at a great price and you want it delivered to your house, bellacatering.com.au is where you need to go. Absolutely delicious stuff, family stuff, like, you know, huge, huge get-togethers that we're doing virtually and things like that. You want leftovers, you want that sort of thing, bam, bellacatering.com.au. Glenn is absolutely a deeply questionable individual. However, that should not be held against him. He has a lovely wife, he has a lovely family, and they've got great staff, and they are awesome. Now, on to the show. This is an excerpt from All the President's Men by Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. Leaning back, he said now, You haven't got it. A librarian and a secretary say this fellow Hunt looked at a book, that's all. Woodward told him that a responsible White House source had explicitly said Hunt was conducting such an investigation. It was near deadline. Other reporters were watching the scene. How senior? Bradley asked. Woodward was a little unsure on the rules on disclosing sources to the executive editor. Do you want the source? We would ask unsteadily. Just tell me if he's at a level of assistant to the president, Bradley said. Woodward didn't know much about titles. He described the person's position. Bradley was not impressed. He took out his pen and began editing the story, changing the lead paragraph to read that merely Hunt showed a special interest in Kennedy and the Chappaquiddick accident. He crossed out the paragraph on the White House attitude towards the Kennedy candidacy. Rosenfeld asked Bradley if the story would go on page one. Bradley said no. Get some harder information next time, he said, and walked off. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me today is an author and very frequent co-host uh, on One Heat Minute Productions, whether it be One Heat Minute, Increment Vice. Uh, he's all over the place. He's one of the very, very insightful and talented folk out there who is is cataloging and basically curating every single expression of cinematic noir that exists, as well as being an extremely talented noir writer himself. It's my pleasure to talk to my friend, Jedediah Ayers. Jed, welcome to All the President's Minutes. Thanks for having me. I am very pleased to be in this company. It's humbling company to be part of, for sure. (laughs) Uh, This is the first time, though, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm... this isn't a movie I know inside and out, uh, or at least, you know, I watch it like three times this week, but I hadn't seen it in, you know, probably 20 years uh, before that. So um, it's been a lot of fun to catch up with it and, and, and listen to the previous episodes and find out why people, this is something that people are so obsessed with. Um, but I'll confess, it's not a movie, though i always been a fan of it. I think I saw it in high school for the first time. Uh I wouldn't say it's an obsession of mine. That's um, okay. You know, so, you, you're not you're not the first person on the show that it's not an obsession, um, and, and that's and that's good. And sometimes uh, I relish the opportunity to talk to someone who's on the outside because I think if we, you know, and and as we've we've done on other projects, you know, I think you have to you have to temper some of that conversation and open that up. But for me, 
One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Jed, is you've got such a familiarity with dogged detectives. And so the the this film is a buddy detective movie in the guise of a journalism movie in many ways. And so for me, I feel like that's the portal with which we can like really tackle this and, and real as an overarching discussion, but unintentionally, I kind of gave you the scene of the movie so far. <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> intend, but I'm like, but I'm like, Oh, Jed's on, Jed's on this. I'm catching up. You know, I, uh, for folks who know and listen, I, I kind of watched the 10 minutes before the scene, the 10 minutes after, and then I'll watch the minute in question like three or four times to make sure that I'm, you know, sometimes three or four or five or ten times. I've seen this movie many, many times um, just to kind of get my head straight on it. Um, but this is just such a powerhouse moment. The the proper introduction of the Oscar-winning Jason Robards' performance is Ben Bradley. And it, it basically tells you everything you want to know uh, about Redford as Woodward and Bernstein's uh, Hoffman in relation to Bradley and uh, it's it's just a wonderful scene all around. I agree. So why don't we stop for a quick moment? We'll take a listen to this minute and then we can dive all the way through it. Yeah, I'm got it. Library and his secretary say Hunt looked at a book. That's not good enough. White House aide told me that Hunt was investigating Kennedy. Who was it? Who was it? You want the name, you mean? No, no. How senior? How high up? I don't know titles. Special interest in the said the White House was investigating Kennedy. So the special interest in. Jesus, story stronger than that. We got a White House librarian who said that Hunt checked out a whole lot of books. We got a secretary in Colson's office and Hunt was sitting All right, at the desk. Car. Ben, that's a page one story. Stick it inside someplace. A great minute, despite a great line being cut off halfway through the final second of it. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I watched it, uh, I did watch the movie a couple of times this week and the last time I, I, I was putting on the DVD and I was just going to watch some special features. And since we're all here at the house, me and my family, uh, you know, everybody can hear We got to take turns with the TV and, and, <laughs> and things like that. And so, uh, I was putting on the special features to watch and, and my son, my 15 uh, year old, almost 16 year old came in and, and said, Oh, were you going to watch all the president's men? He'd seen the disc sitting out and, I said, well, I was, I was just going to watch the special features. But he said, well, I'd like to watch the movie. And so he volunteered himself for that. And so the last Good time I watched lad. it was Good with lad. my son. Yeah, no kidding. Anyway, I asked him about, uh, you know, he he knew the, the name. He knew the, the term Watergate. He knew Nixon resigned over it. He, But, you know, this was like fresh, fresh for him. And, uh. I was I was really curious how how he was going to follow it, how he was going to you know what did he uh, what did he take away from it? Was it entertaining? Things like that. And um, yeah, he was uh, he was really pretty impressed with it. He he liked all the uh, all the things they did to uh, 
getting information out of people and things like that. But it was funny. Uh, the, the final, you know, the, the final two minutes or uh, 20 seconds of the movie, whatever, where it's, uh, just playing the, playing out the, uh, Play, in, in playing, them out, play, playing them out in headlines right. and playing he, them out. He kind of felt like, well, <laughs> well, wait, that's abrupt. <laughs> I don't, you know, where everybody else knew, you know, when it came out, of course, the, that, that uh, was self-evident, everybody else knew that that was self, self-evident right. to everyone. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he felt a little a little let down by the ending of the movie, but he was he was way into it before that. Can I just say that's so good? Uh, that that is my one of my favorite stories because it's so rare that you get to give someone something new and watch them yeah. experiencing like something that is tried and true for you over and over. It could be, you know, whether it's a great movie or a great book, and someone like taking it away and enjoying it. And it's so fun, especially to hear your son be like, like. We can now we've reflect we've reflected on it and talked about it a couple of times that like some of the choices in this movie feel like they're really stylistic and avant garde, but in many ways they're a reaction to the time that it's produced because everyone knew the hell like the outcome inside and out, so you didn't need to do it. So it's so cool to hear that li- actually correct, like it's live, like you know, in later generations, like hey hey hey, why is that abrupt? Why are they being avant garde with that ending? <laughs> um, that's so wonderful. God, it's a great minute. It's um. Uh, you know, I, I know you and I have an affinity, you know, there the are great sort of scene chewing actors. There are great character actors that populate the noir and detective genre, you know, genre of film. So, you know, you see, you see people like Jack Warden pop up as a great character actor. You see Robards as a great character actor, but there are so few actors that are as effortless as Jason Robards. Like this guy does not even look like he's trying and is sensational. Whereas you've got someone like Hoffman who's got this manic energy and you've got Redford's posturing and like they're working so hard and they're so good. But I think that sometimes when you get an actor who's that much better at being natural than other people, like he he can dwarf, he can dwarf you, you know, he just feels to me when he saunters into this scene that, these other guys are just not ready for his intellect and, and, and his approach. It's just, it's pretty magnificent. Yeah. He definitely carries a lot of uh, just natural authority in him. I was looking at his filmography and uh, there's a lot of blind spots for me. A lot of stuff I should see that have, I haven't, but um, Mm. the uh, it's amazing to me that most of the films are good a much larger percentage than I would have guessed of the films that I've actually seen him in uh, are westerns, and um, the uh, All the President's Men, in fact, is probably the first in his filmography. Um, End of the day, it's not a western. Um, uh, even Boy and His Dog, uh, you know that that uh, Ellison uh, post-apocalyptic. Yes, you know it's more or less a western. Um, so uh seen him in all these westerns and then this is the first first time I see him in uh you know or it, I should say this is the youngest iteration <laughs> I see of him uh yes. in a non-western setting and it's uh uh that's it, it, just the uh, 
I, I wasn't expecting that to have been the case. But uh, I think the earliest film of his I've actually seen is Hour of the Gun, where he plays Doc Holliday. Yes. And even in that, he seems like, he, he seems kind of, well, he's an older guy. He's, a, yeah. <laughs> he's still got a lot of natural uh, natural authority to him that uh, I just don't, um, I, I don't know how you get that. Um, you know, I don't know how just in the public as he is that uh, someone like me who's you know not seen a lot of his uh, bigger stuff um, how how I just automatically have him as this uh, authoritative person and oh geez you better listen to this guy and uh, you know I, I'm intimidated by him when he steps on screen uh, in this and it's not like they did a whole third man Harry Lyme build up about him uh, before he steps on the screen, um, you know, I'm frankly, I don't know anything about Ben Bradley outside of this movie. And I, so he doesn't, it's not the name. It's not the, uh, it's not a lot of buildup that the, the movie gives him, but he steps on screen and I'm intimidated. I want to please him. I want him <laughs> to uh, like me <laughs> and clap me on the back. And <laughs> that is- so yeah, he's, it's great, great casting. Phenomenal casting. Uh, phenomenal. And it's, you're so right. Like the, the Harry Lyme um, comparison is perfect because they do reference him. But it's so subtle that you couldn't think that it is doing what you're describing, which is, you know, in when you're really trying to, and, and you know, this is a journalism term, but like some people sort of bury the lead with a character that's going to be important and they're just sort of hovering around on the fringes and then they burst into the scene and they're the most important character. Um, and so there are other TV shows and things like that that do that or, you know, take the focus away or just let someone be in the background and, you kind of have a bit of a head scratch moment. Like, why is that monstrous actor just hovering around in the background? They must be important. <laughs> Usually in bad serial killer movies or something like that, where like a real, like there's just like 20 extras and then someone who's an Academy Award nominee just hanging around with them. And you're like, that's the killer. Uh, so you kind of, uh, that, that's, that's really bad. But I think up until this moment, you know, I've had 32 minutes before this, the 33rd minute um, of Alan J. Pecula's 76 masterpiece, All the President's Men. And when we get to this moment, it's only on reflection if you really deeply scrutinize every single newsroom scene that he's there every time. He's on the fringes. They are in the, you know, they are in the mix. They're in the middle of that newsroom and there's a, they're in the sort of, you know, the eye of the newsroom storm and the beautiful chaos that is that newsroom. And he's always on the fringes. And that, this is what's so cool, uh, Jed, like in the sort of history of this movie is that Robards as an actor was never on the call sheet to be in the office on all of these days. He just dressed as Ben Bradley and went and sat in that office of his own volition and just read the paper or read a book and just was there because his mind was, if I'm just here all the time with these guys, then they'll know that I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm with them. Like I'm in it as well. And so what's so wonderful is that I think subliminally we've had that Harry Lyme third man stuff happening in the background. Like it is almost like a tapestry of the movie. You don't even realize that it's happening, but then that is paired with his just genuine X factor. 
Like there is just something, you know, he he's dying in a bed in Magnolia and he makes Tom Cruise feel small. And like he's had five speeches about his dick to the point that you then see him in the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like there's not many people that can do that. <laughs> there's just not be, there's not many people that can that can deliver on that kind of presence. And when he when he comes in there is just something um in the midst of I guess the frenzy and the flurry to get this story down, you know, he can he can be that anchor point and he's just his voice just it's just everything. You're so right. I love that. It's like you are desperate to please him. You're like, "Oh god." And that is that's all in the performances here. Jack Warden has been, you know, the tough and authoritative and cool and he's very much in the presence of Bradley is just sitting back. Um Hoffman is shaking and Redford is like so desperate to please him, even though his face is not, you know, he's not really jawing it or anything like that, but he's just so in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And how devastating to have that, that line and you haven't got it. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, please, please be happy with me, daddy. Uh, please <laughs> please, just, please you know, edit- you, editorial you daddy, wonder, please be happy. <laughs> right. If they just like, if he, if he'd given them, you know, kind of scratched them behind the ears, patted their head and said, Hey, way to go guys. Uh, now, you know, good job. I think we're going to give this to, to somebody oh, who's God. a little more prepared. Well, I'm just saying, maybe this is just me, but I, I almost would have felt like I'm obviously not a reporter, but, uh, I can imagine feeling like, Oh, thank God I did my yeah, I'm, I did a good job, and now when the story, now when the you know somebody else takes over and and makes a big big deal of it, uh, I can I can say, hey, I was part of that, and I did my job. But but to get that the first thing, you know, you haven't got it is is that that seems I don't I don't know how I would have how I would have handled that. I probably would not have handled it the way. I might be. Uh, they do. I might be masochistic, but I love that style. Uh, you know, I speak to Garth Franklin, who's the editor of Dark Horizons, where I write my sort of uh, um, prior to this whole COVID nineteen thing. Um, uh, would write like reviews very frequently, and I and I call our chat. We have a chat group on WhatsApp. I call it the Red Pen because, like, I love the idea that like you don't have it. Like I, that's exactly what, maybe it's because I've obsessively watched this movie, but I want to hear you don't have it. Like you don't have it. It's not there yet. Like that's, uh, and, um, you know, that's, uh, uh, on graffiti with punctuation, my blog with, um, our, our feature editor, another film nerd, you know, when we talk about things like I, I, I love the, you don't have it push further. You don't have it. Um, and I, I love a virtual red pen. I'm like, bring it. Let's like, if we don't have it, let's just get better. Let's make sure that we have it. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad there's, you know, uh, it's funny. Um, I've a couple of the episodes I've listened to uh, and people talking about, uh, you know, and it's certainly with, uh, with the Michael Mann centric uh, productions, you've, you've, you've been following there there's a real sort of worship of uh of competence and professionalism and uh you know just people who are good at doing what they do yes 
And it's funny. Uh, now, I, I love Michael Mann. I love his dedication to that stuff. But really outside of him and, you know, a, a handful of, of rare uh, rare talents who who do that, um, that's, that's almost the opposite of what I want out of, uh, out of my, my upset. I like the fuck ups. I yes. like the half assed. I like the people with way more confidence than they <laughs> should have. You know, I like the people who wing it and who take shortcuts through things and completely bluff um <laughs> and and the ones who are even clueless that that's what they're doing they think they're great and they're not yes. they just have had a lot of luck and success those are the those are kind of my people as far <laughs> as uh, what i'm drawn to uh watching and reading um you know i i like incompetency porn i guess is what you'd call it uh, yes. i like uh uh and so this is like my guys hearing you don't got it wouldn't hear that you know they wouldn't uh they'd maybe quit and go somewhere else or um yeah i don't need to put up with this i don't need to put up with this right um so you know i mean thank god they didn't thank god they i mean it, it, it makes a, a great movie and a great story but but I just, I recognize that these are not my, this is not, this is not my story. This is not, yeah. uh, uh, these folks are a lot different than me and, um, they're a lot, uh, yeah, they're better than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you don't need to hold yourself to the standard of Robert Redford, Hoffman, Robards, or Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward for that matter, just to be clear. <laughs> No, but I, I, I think okay, that well, I, I, th you. I think some of that fuck up energy though is in Hoffman, it's in Bernstein. You know, he, yeah, he, he's he, the one who wants to he he it's jump he's, to the big picture. Yeah, he's like, this is it. What are these guys slowing us down for? Like he 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 can smell that the story's there, and he will cut a corner. But what's great is how they temper each other. Because it's like Redford yeah. will not cut a corner and he wants to hear that it's bad because he needs to hear it to be better. That's his own psychological processes, Woodward. And Hoffman's a natural talent. He's prodigious. So, you know, he, you know, he's been in there since he's 16 years old. He's now in his 30s. Like he knows the business inside and out and and he can occasionally, you and you can see it in the way that he, you know, he's, he's sort of got that little bit of ego or at least how the characters portrayed through Hoffman. Cause you know, you can't really speak for Bernstein as a, a real entity when Hoffman's portraying him, but you just get that feeling that like, I know better than these guys. I got this under control. Yeah. And so like, yeah, he's that, he's that guy. He's that guy. But, but that self, but that, I think that self just, I think what I love about this movie, cause I think that there is that great competency porn versus incompetency porn. I think what is what is actually drawing me to this movie and particularly about this story is that there is an arc. When you find these guys, they are not the best. They are not these sacred mm. on high journalists who mm. are just powerhouses. You know, when you when you watch Good Night and Good Luck, George Clooney's movie about Edward Almaro with a phenomenal performance by David Strathairn in the lead, he's perfect. 
that's like his perfect moment in history. And you arrive there and all those other journalists that are in that newsroom are really good and really competent and they seem to know what they're doing. But that is undeniably him at the peak of his powers, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and that movie's actually got a fantastic ending too where it it puts him doing the fluff piece (laughs) right as all the other... The serious work is getting done. He's doing puff pieces too. Yeah, yeah. So, like, but but he's so hyper aware of their their destiny. You know, like he's having to do a puff piece now and then, and and they're deciding how they're going to approach it. But it's just, yeah, it's just one of those things. It's just one of those things where I, I like what is great about this moment. It is this is the moment where you go. These guys are still not there. Like you don't have it. Like they don't have the story. They don't have the talent to deliver on the story, or at least we get asked the question, do these guys have the talent? Because when Neil McCauley walks off that train at the beginning of Heat, you know he can take down anything in about 30 seconds. This guy is determination incarnate. He's a locomotive. And when, you know, and despite Doc being a... A total stoner f up for most of uh, <laughs> inherent vice. Um, he's kind of the only guy who can scribble down a picture that makes sense of what's happening with this story and the interconnectedness, even if he has to draw it on his kitchen counter. You know, like he kind of gets it. He does get it, um, and and we can start putting it together through him. But I love that in this moment, it's like these guys don't have it, and if, and they're going to have to do some stuff. And it actually gives you the, you know, it gives you that it's this calculated layer of uncertainty that they're going to be able to deliver that even though you know what the outcome is just for that little brief moment, you can suspend your disbelief and go, shit, these guys are going to have to do some really good work to pull this out because right now they suck. It's um, one of the things that I, I, uh, one of the words I've I've got out of my son when he was talking about his reaction to it, he said, I did feel paranoid and I, I, Great. I tried to, I didn't have long to talk to him about it. It's like, so you felt like. Get him on the phone right now. Get him on the show. No, I'm just kidding. Get him on the phone. (laughs) Get him him on. Did you feel like, uh, did you feel like they were in danger, that they were, their lives were threatened and and his, you know, I said, you knew the outcome of the story, but you know, did you know these guys, did you feel they were in danger? He said, no, I didn't feel they were in physical danger, but it felt paranoid. And, uh, of course, this is what, the third. Uh, did he, did Pakula do more than the the other? Uh, if you if I were going to say, you know, uh, set up the top top five, top ten uh, paranoia thrillers uh, ever, Pakula had have three of them. You know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, clearly, he's he's doing something, but I'm. I, w- I was trying to get out of him, you know, well, what does paranoia mean to you? You know, if you don't feel, if you didn't feel for their lives, if you didn't think they were in danger, what what was it getting at? And it, it kind of, it strikes me that uh, this is, it, it's almost like uh, the way he infuses into the film is, is almost the way some people can really infuse, say, uh, you know, 
romance or sexual tension into uh, films that, um, you know, just out of, uh, how do you conjure that out of the air? And this is side of it. You know, we're not seeing the, the white house. We're just feeling, but we're, it's, it's almost like a seduction. These two, these two sort of worlds getting closer and closer together. Yes. And, and, but we're only seeing one, one half of it. And, 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 um, the people who are, you know, the lower sort of echelon that we're encountering from the other side of it, uh, we are feeling their, <laughs> their paranoia, but that's the only impression we have of, uh, you know, other than, uh, people denying, uh, stories in the press, um, which, you know, seems so robotic and, and, and unbelievable. Um, but the, the, the fear, the paranoia uh, that we're picking up on from the lower echelon people um, is is the only the only uh, side of, of the other. It, it's the only impressions we're getting from the other the other side, yes. and um, the, the feeling that we're about to we're about to touch. There's about there's there's an electric there's a magnetic. Uh, field here that that we're both starting to inhabit and we're getting drawn closer and closer together and i don't know what where we're going to meet how we're going to you know what it's going to be like once we're there but uh i um but that everything seems to be directing us toward that you know uh uh history fate god the universe something is pulling us together and everything seems to be in on it. Um, that's, uh, that's a pretty marvelous thing to be able to put into, you know, obviously the, the actors have some to do with that, that the cinematography definitely does and the editing, but, uh, but I'm not really sure how you intend to make that happen as a, uh, you know, when you're, when you're putting a film together, but however you go about doing that, uh, man, Pakula was absolutely masterful. Yeah. He's a genius. He's, he's, you know, um, you know, he, he, to quote like a rust and coal line, like he's like plugged into the universe. Like, you know, that, that from true detectives, mm-hmm. like he's, he's plugged into some, some weird thing that, and and as you were talking, I was trying to like get to a moment where it's like, when when do you when do you feel like what is the tension that he's creating that makes you feel that sense of paranoia when you're not in physical danger or the characters aren't in physical danger to, mm. explicitly? And it just made me think of you know yeah. we're, we're talking Michael Mann before, but it just made me think of that. Like his wonderful peculiar riff scene, I will call it from the insider, which is such an interior scene with Russell Crowe's Jeffrey Wigand. He's he's standing at a driving range, and he's had a really shitty conflict riddled day with his employer Brown Williamson, and he's got to kind of wrestle with his this ethical and moral quandary, and he's swinging the club. And he just cannot get onto a ball. He cannot hit it. He cannot get his focus. 
And in those moments, it's all because of that frustration. And then he, he, he seems to find his center. He seems the, the task of his isolated and, and very kind of solitary pursuit of just smashing a ball down the driving range eventually gets him back to a center and he starts crushing the ball. What then happens is that he realizes he's not alone. And the entire alchemy of the scene just explodes in and on itself. Like it's like it may as well be an atomic reaction because this centeredness, this time that he can be isolated, this private moment of uh, being able to get back to some semblance of sort of um, clarity and and comfort and like, you know, kind of back to where he can be really deliberate is completely shaken up again because his anxiety is then turned, like the volume's turned up to 11. And so I think that that's what, you know, n- not to take an immediate digression to another film, but I think that that's what Peculiar does. I think that these guys, th- I think, and he's doing it on a macro level, that scene's doing it on a micro level, which then has macro implications, but he's doing it on a macro level. Like he's continuously telling you that these guys don't matter, like that they they don't have it, that they're in this city, that they're following lists and lists of people, that the doors are continually shutting on them and they're just only ever like getting these little slivers of tendrils of threads before they can start weaving this thing together. And then by the time that the story is, they realize that they've got enough of a picture of what this ultimately this story is going to be, you realize how close in proximity that, that, that the threat is. Like, it's like you don't realize you're swimming next to a shark until the fiend pops out of the water. Like, it's it's right fucking there. Like, it's been there the whole time. And the the stakes from no one cares about this story to your life's in danger happens in a microsecond. And, but it, and we are feeling that proximity even implicitly before it's articulated. So, it's just that power. But like you said, it's you just nailed it completely of like, he he's just got something where it's like a sexual tension. It's a seduction. It's slow. It's a building thing. It's it's like a storm, you know, coming on the horizon. We feel it happening, even though we, we're not quite. We ha- we haven't quite got our heads around it. So, such a talent, unbelievable talent. I want to see you write about. I want to see you write about um, that top ten paranoia films. Like you, I, I think we might have to commission that <laughs> and see you write about. Uh, well, I, yeah. formulate the rest of that list. Well, I, yeah, I'd have to think about that. I'd have to think about that. But definitely his, you know, Clute and Parallax View and, and uh, All the President's Men are definitely, definitely on the list. Um, uh, one, you know, it strikes me that, uh, as I was saying, we're only seeing kind of one side of this uh, this story. You know, watching, watching this film and what a just undeniably handsome film, impressive looking, uh, constructed film. It is, um, all those wonderful shots of just sort of geometric patterns and shapes, you know, uh, made out of living people, you know, the shot at the library of Congress and the shot as they pull off, pull out of the, uh, the parking lot of the, um, post and you know all the the cars on the rooftop and then the cars on the street and the you know it just all these all these from up high views of uh the city
city and the the impressive architecture and, and things like that. Um, it's it's almost like those are the those are the glimpses from from the establishment yes. from the. Uh, um, this is what the world looks like to them. You know, you pull out of the uh, the chaotic looking newsroom and you pull back far enough and it's very much just another block in its place. You yeah. know, everything is built <laughs> together. Yes. And on the ground, it feels like chaos and frantic energy, but from the seat of power, from above, from heaven, it's, it's all very orderly and very precise and, um, uh, and it, it strikes me that, you know, maybe that's what those shots mean. Those are, those are the seat of power. Those are, um, and of course, Sal Hallbrook cuts that all down. And he says, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, <laughs> you gotta get, get over this myth of these are not very bright guys, but, but they're not very bright guys, um, operating, from this this place of power, um, yeah, it's so like that, it's know, like a, it's like a guy do, on medication drinking and operating heavy machinery. Like that's what's fucking yeah. scary. <laughs> like when Hal Holbrook's like, they're See, not very those are my people. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's my incompetent form right there. That's why I watched Dick this week too, because uh, uh, frankly, that's my like. I watched them back to back. I watched uh, Dick with uh, um, Kristen Stewart and. Um, Wait, I just messed that up. What's uh, Kirsten Dunst? Kirsten uh, Dunst. Sorry, sorry. And uh, Michelle Williams. Um, watched Dick and all the President's Men back to back, and I found myself definitely responding to Will Ferrell and Bruce McCullough <laughs> as Woodward and Bernstein. Um, much more like, okay, yeah. See, this is the story that this is the way I would sort of. Uh, gravitate toward the material, you know, just they're blowhards. They're, <laughs> they're, you know, again, not knowing anything about Woodward and Bernstein. I'm like, these are, this, this is much closer to being written by me than, uh, <laughs> than all the president's men. And, um, uh, yeah, that, that was a nice, nice little juxtaposition. Also, I love here, if we come back to our scene, like Jack Warden's got to be one of your guys, a blowhard, you know, once yeah, you, know, you yeah, got to love, you got to love Jack Warden's Harry Rosenfeld. Like he's talking to Martin Balsam's Howard Simons and he's like, and how, and Balsam's like, I thought you were going to fire him last week. And he goes, ah, oh, he's a schmuck, but you know, get him. Like, he, he's, he's hungry. He's, he's hungry. You remember when you were hungry, Howard, you know, like that, that he feels like a champion of your guys, you know? Yeah, I just another one I just watched with my son for the first time. It was uh, Twelve Angry Men, oh, and yeah, I mean, God, talk about good. bluster and yeah, so such a great movie. Yeah. God, he's been in, you know, again when you look at Jack Warden's, like he's the guy who can be in Twelve Angry Men and Dirty Work, and it makes sense. Like, there's not many people who can be <laughs> who can do those two muscles, and he does them both pretty <laughs> pretty effortlessly. Like being Artie Lang and Norm's dad. And also being Harry Rosenfeld, this guy can do it. So therefore, he can do it all. He's a legend. Absolutely. That. Oh, Jed, this has been an absolute pleasure yep. talking to you, my friend. And 
I I really want to thank you so much for sharing, um, you know, family time, uh, learning about this. There's at the moment, if you are a Patreon subscriber to the great film freak central.net, um, there's uh, a series that a guest of this show, the great Walter Chaw is doing, um, uh, which is called uh, life during wartime. And he's cataloging watching sort of incredible classic films with his kids and then asking them kind of critical questions uh, about like how they're engaging with the with the film and the art of the film. And so I just wanted to say, it's something I've really enjoyed. It's only a couple of entries, but they're going to continue going on. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing um, your your little life during wartime, uh, 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 but but Jed's life during wartime watching this with your son because I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's so cool to have uh, sort of, feel like we've had the like the third person experience of that that inquisition with you it's a, it was a real treat yeah it's uh you know if if nothing else is coming out of this very bizarre time we're living in it's i'm watching a lot of movies with my kids that i'm really enjoying of course they're not all they're not all this you know uh, <laughs> not all not, not all up for the minute by minute scrutiny <laughs> but but certainly getting Getting to watch some of the greats with your kids—that's um, that's something that I'm deeply looking forward to. I'm I'm still stu- I'm still yeah. You know, I've still got a three and a half year old. So as far as we've gotten so far as Spider Man into the Spider Verse, I've pushed her into those things. You know, I've got some Pixar movies in there, which mm-hmm. Wally the other day. That's about as close as we've gotten to that. So um, you know, something to look forward to in the future. Zero three. Well, you know, yeah, those are absolutely the building blocks to get them there. So you know, it's a. <laughs> I'm I'm in the I'm in the time I'm in the golden age right now where you know in just a year or two probably they're gonna not be particularly interested in watching movies bad anymore. But uh, uh, right now I can really get to a lot of the good stuff that uh, I feel like I've been building up to this whole time. That is my incredible mate, Jedediah Ayers. Oh boy, is he such a wonderful film and storytelling mind. If you want to find out uh, anything else of what's going on in Jed's life at the moment and uh, and his creative career, at Jedediah Ayers on Twitter, which is A-Y-R-E-S, Jedediah the normal way, and spaceythompson.blogspot.com is his blog, Hardboy Wonderland. This has been another One Heat Minute production. Thank you so much for listening along. We have an amazing array of shows. One Heat Minute, obviously, the last 12 minutes of the Mohicans, Increment Vice, Josie and the Podcats, all the President's Minutes which you're listening to today, and our daily podcast, Con 10 Gen, which is a tight 10, talking to a whole stack of folks in isolation, in quarantine, sort of accounting for in this community everything that's going down. Listen along to that daily. We're going to have great shows coming up for you, some unannounced stuff which we are going to announce to tease for the future. But if you want to support us, we do have a Patreon, and you can find links to that on oneheatminute.com. If you want to go to our site, oneheatminute.com or incrementvice.com, you can find out more about the shows. And if you want to go to graffitiwithpunctuation.com, you can read about Contention and our upcoming six-part limited series, Josie and the Podcasts. Until next time, thank you so much. Subscribe, rate, review, share.